This evening's uh, readings are taken from Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, starting in the, uh, the first verse in each, where Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And Acts 2, reading from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing, mighty, mighty wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were all bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Well, thank you very much, Kath and Nick, uh, for uh, leading and uh, reading, and Amy for praying, and our musicians. Now, let me just quickly uh, point you to where we're going, and then I'll pray. If you pick up the uh, service sheet, you'll see on the back where we are in our series on getting to know the person of the Holy Spirit. Tonight we're in the middle, number three, 
getting to know the person of the Holy Spirit as we see him at Pentecost. And then next Sunday, God willing, we're going to look at the person of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of the apostles, really to explore the issue of which aspects of the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit are specific to them and not to us. And then it'll be post-Easter, we'll have a couple of evenings on the person of the Holy Spirit in dwelling us. But as we've said all throughout the series, in order to speak about the person of the Holy Spirit in dwelling us, it's good for us to know Him, that is the person of the Holy Spirit, before we think about His ministry in our lives. Although we'll touch on His ministry in our lives tonight. So let's pray. That's where we're going. Our Father, we pray that tonight, as we study what may be really familiar passages or may be fresh and new for us, the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that you would really help us to understand what this is saying and its significance for us. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Now, one of the things that I hope that we can achieve tonight with some degree of clarity is to understand kind of theologically or supernaturally to understand exactly what is going on in the next 30 minutes. So what is it that we are doing here? What role in the next 30 minutes does the Word of God have that is sitting in front of me and is on your laps or on your phones? What role does the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, have as we gather here and those of you online, on YouTube? And what role do I have as the preacher? And what role do you have as the hearers? So what's going on in the next 30 minutes? That's something I hope and pray that we will uh, be able to understand. Now, you'll see on the sheet that there are three headings tonight. I want to rattle through number one and take most of our, if not all of our time on number two, and then just touch on number uh, three. So the three things we're going to look at, and we're going to start in chapter two, verse one, where Nick read. I'm going to read some of the stuff that follows in chapter two, uh, later on in the sermon. But we're going to look at the giving of the person of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, what happened and what it means. And then we're going to look at the sermon that accompanied it. But to broaden out for that and consider the person of the Holy Spirit and His relationship to speaking. And then we'll finish up just with a couple of comments on verses 42 to 47, the transformation that speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit brings about. And just to give you um, a kind of heads up or a trailer for what is uh, happening in the next 30 minutes, and this is not an arrogant thing to say, it's a humble thing to say, because the person who is in charge 
speaking in this room is the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to point us to God the Father and God the Son and not me. I am a voice. I've got to not get in the way and do my very best to communicate. What is going to happen? Conviction, conversion, plausibly, and devotion. So what goes on in a sermon is always effectual. It has an outcome. It has a purpose. Mind, heart, will, life. Now, that's what should be happening. And I'm not saying that arrogantly. It's not to do with my eloquence or any of that. It's to do with how the Holy Spirit works with the Word of God. Now, let's look, number one, at the giving of the person of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Let me rattle through these headings. The giving of the person of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is promised. Promised right through the Old Testament. Promised by Jesus. For example, John 14, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another help of the Holy Spirit to be with you. Promised by Jesus after His death and resurrection. So, Acts 1 and verse 8, as Nick read, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Promised. Promised and linked to Passover. Pente means 50. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. The link between the death and resurrection of Jesus and the giving of the person of the Holy Spirit is fundamental. Third, the person of the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost by both the Father and the Son. Both are involved in the giving of the person of the Holy Spirit. So, as we read, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit. And in uh, Peter's sermon in Acts 2.33, uh, let me read that, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He, that is Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are hearing and seeing. So the Holy Spirit is sent from the Father and the Son. Significance, and you might remember this from last time, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work in concert, work together in the salvation plan of God, the whole Godhead behind salvation. Next, Pentecost is a unique event. Now, we're not going to spend time on that, but it's fundamentally important. There was only one Pentecost. There was only one day the Holy Spirit was given by the Father and the Son to the church. Like the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension and the exaltation or coronation of Jesus and His return on the last day, Pentecost is a unique event. It only happens once. And it happened on that one day in Jerusalem 
when the Holy Spirit was given. On that day, there were signs, signs of wind and of fire, Acts chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. A mighty rushing wind filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So the wind blew, you could feel it, it was heard, and you could see tongues of fire, just however that would have looked like, fire appearing to rest on each one of them. A visual and a sound. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is often referred to as the wind or the breath of God. For example, Psalm 33 and 6. Or in that wonderful passage in Ezekiel 37, when the dead, dry bones come to life, how do they do that? In two ways. One, through the Word of God, and two, through the breath or wind or spirit of God. Now, just hold on to that concept. How do people come to life in Christ? Through the Word of God and the Spirit of God, the Word of God and the wind of God. You might remember, too, speaking of wind and fire, in one of our earlier studies, the words of John the Baptist as he pointed people away from himself to Jesus, John said, he will baptize you. Jesus will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. That is what we're seeing here. Now, here's something that is vitally important and uh, will stop us being confused. What we see here, and this is the last heading under number one, is a miracle of speaking that reveals the church's mission. Now, read with me from Acts 2 verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we're talking about all the people who were there, not just the apostles. There were others there too. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now, what tongues or what language were they speaking? Well, Luke tells us, read on with me from verse 5, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because, now notice what Luke says, each one was hearing them, that is, those who had been filled with the Holy Spirit and were speaking in other tongues, each one of those who were listening was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. And they said, how can that be? For are they not all Galileans? They only speak Aramaic or Hebrew. And how is it that we hear each of us from his own language? What languages? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, 
Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. There's nothing vague about that, is there? Both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes are folks who are not of the Jewish race but are converted to Judaism. Cretans and Arabians. We hear them, this is the testimony of all these people from all over the world who were there that day, we hear them, that is the group who were uh, touched by fire, filled with the Spirit, and who were speaking in tongues, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others said they are filled with new wine. Now, you might be thinking of elsewhere in Scripture that speaks about a gift of the Holy Spirit that is speaking in tongues which are praise language. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit, but that's not what we're reading about here. This is the Holy Spirit enabling all those who were there on day one of the church to speak in all the languages of the world, so that when all the world gathered in Jerusalem, people heard the gospel, the things of God in their own language. And it's crystal clear that's what's going on from what Luke writes. The tongues they spoke on were the equivalent, I guess, today of French and German and English and Bambara. That was pretty good. Jen's nodding away there. Uh, Arabic, Spanish, and so on and so forth. Now, what's going on? This is an extraordinary miracle on the day the Holy Spirit was given to the church. The miracle reveals the church's mission. Remember the promise in Acts 1 and 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this miracle in day one shows us what will happen in the church age. Now, we've heard this week from our gospel partners speaking about the vision of mission organizations to translate the Bible or the gospel into all the languages of the world, and great progress has been made, and great advances have been made, and there is a great deal to go yet. That's why I asked Debbie and Aidan if they spoke Arabic. And you see, that's exactly what's going on here. We are sent out to take the gospel to all the languages of the earth so that one day, here's Revelation verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne. And what are they all singing before the throne? Salvation belongs to our God. But they're not singing in English. We are. But they're singing in their language. All the languages of the earth gathered around the throne of God. And what we get in day one in Acts 2 is a miracle that shows us what is the destiny of salvation in the age of the church. That's what's going on. And I hope that's helpful, and I hope that's clear uh, to you. Now, it may well be 
that over the course of the next uh, five or six months, as we hear from our different families who are involved in uh, mission, that God lays, and I would be very surprised if this doesn't happen, on somebody's heart, that they are the next person to pick up that flaming torch and using their linguistic abilities, or by giving 10 years to learn a language, that they will go and be part of this fulfillment, that one day we'll see people from a language which currently does not have the gospel standing around the throne, praising God in their own tongue. Okay, that's point one, the giving of the person of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Now, let's focus and do so in some detail. And to try to explain this, I've gone round in circles a little bit, trying to explain it clearly on the sheet. And um, because the Holy Spirit is at work as much in you as He is in me, and most of all with the Word of God, you've got a fighting chance. You've got two out of three, okay? The, the Word of God is your teacher in the hands of the person of the Holy Spirit, and the indwelling Spirit in you takes that Word and applies it deep within and brings you to a hunger for that Word. And the indwelling Spirit in me works so that I uh, engage with the affections for Jesus, commend them, communicate them, and my job is to explain what the Bible um, says. So, the person of the Holy Spirit and speaking. That is a pattern that we have seen in our studies. And hence, it's been helpful for us to study the person of the Holy Spirit long before He indwells us. So, the person of the Holy Spirit at creation, what does He do? God speaks, and the person of the Holy Spirit at creation brings order out of chaos and fullness out of emptiness. Jesus the person of the Holy Spirit anoints Jesus at the inauguration of His ministry as prophet, prophet, priest, and king. Jesus' first sermon He takes as His text, we saw this last week, Isaiah 61, and these words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news. He has sent me to proclaim liberty, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, in creation, the Holy Spirit works with the spoken Word of God to bring order out of chaos, fullness out of emptiness. In Christ's ministry, the Holy Spirit works to uh, anoint Christ that Christ might proclaim the good news. And then the promise in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Jesus is speaking to the apostles, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit empowers witness speaking first in the apostles, but this must be also for us because the apostles did not take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what we get to do. It's what you get to do. It's what we are all doing. So it is a pattern. The pattern is the person of the Holy Spirit and speaking. 
God speaking, Jesus speaking, the apostles speaking, us speaking. And here in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost, and what happens immediately? What happens immediately as the Holy Spirit comes into that room and breaks into this world in His person in this new way? What happens immediately? Everyone starts speaking in all the languages of the earth. And then what happens next? Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Just clock the simplicity of this statement. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. A sermon is preached. You see the the powerful, powerful point that's being made, the person of the Holy Spirit is given at Pentecost. There is a speaking miracle, and now there is a sermon. And you connect it all the way through history, the person of the Holy Spirit at creation. God speaks. The Spirit orders, fills. Jesus Christ is empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit to preach. I'm thinking of Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, the very start of Jesus' ministry. He did what? He preached in the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. There is a miracle of speaking and a sermon, and then all the way through the book of Acts, if you were to read it, Luke's historical account of the early church, there's a phrase that recurs again and again that marks growth, and that phrase is the Word of God increased, speaking, speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Let's just look quickly at the Pentecost uh, sermon. Read with me from verse 14 again. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And it helps a lot if you can look at this and follow along with me and see that what I'm saying is what it's saying. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Jonah. Just stop there. What does Peter do in this normative sermon on day one of the church? He immediately, he immediately picks up the Bible. He picks up the Old Testament Scriptures. And he says, Luke, let me read this and let me show you what it says. So he quotes from Joel, as in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, 
In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the days of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they knew they were all Jews and converted Jews listening to Peter preaching, they knew the prophecy of Joel, and Peter reads it. Then he says this, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words, God's words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, what Peter is doing when he quotes the prophecy of Joel, he's saying that pro the prophecy of Joel is speaking about the last days. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, and what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out all kinds of people Joel's prophecy is not about the apostles, it's about the apostles, and it's about you and me, ordinary folks. Prophesying, that means speaking, seeing vision and dreams. All of that is using the Old Testament language of revelation and proclamation. Think of Daniel. He saw visions and dreams, and he prophesied. All of that has come to us in the New Covenant. The prophet Joel said there would be signs that show us we're in the last days, signs associated with the giving of the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the reference in, in verses 19 to 20 to the, 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 the sun becoming black and the moon like blood, that reminds us of two things, Calvary and Judgment Day. And I think that's what Joel is saying. These signs remind us of the, the, the end times and Calvary. And then wonderfully, verse 21 of Joel's prophecy, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, Peter picks up the Word of God, the prophecy of Joel, and he says, this is being fulfilled in your very presence. These tongues of fire, the fact that all these people can see and understand and are speaking and preaching. That is exactly what will happen in the last days. And it will all end when the sky will turn black, blood red, as it did in Calvary. Verses 22 to 23 in the sermon, you killed Jesus, but this was God's plan. But God raised him from the dead, verses 24 to 32. Now, we don't have time to read all of that. What does David do when he speaks about the resurrection of Jesus? What does he do? What do you and I do when we speak about the resurrection of Jesus? We pick up the Word of God. 
What does Peter do? He picks up the Word of God. He picks up Psalm 16, a Davidic psalm. David said this, I saw the Lord always before me, for He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And that song or psalm was sung by David, but only can supremely be sung by the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom death did not hold him, and he was raised from the dead. And Peter is taking a, a, a text from the Scriptures that these people knew well, and he's saying, this is fulfilled in Christ. And there's one more towards the end of his sermon. Uh, the Holy Spirit, verses 33, was poured out by Christ, and then God made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's in verses 33 to 36. And uh, he quotes there from Psalm 110, and saying, David is saying, look, there's one way greater than me. Uh, the Lord said to my Lord. Uh, so David is saying, there's my Lord, another king. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, I've kind of rushed through that, and we could spend all of our time just looking at the details of Peter's uh, sermon. What I want you to see is that all through that sermon, Peter picks up the Word of God, and he expounds it, and the point is that the person of the Holy Spirit is working with the Word of God. That's so important. The person of the Holy Spirit working with the Word of God at creation, in the ministry of Christ, at Pentecost, in the ministry of the apostles, in the ministry of the church, in your ministry and in my ministry, the person of the Holy Spirit working with the Word of God. And what's the result? Verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And why did they all repent? And why were they all baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? And why did they then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as they were converted? It has nothing to do, nothing to do with Peter's eloquence. It has everything to do with the power of God, the Holy Spirit, speaking God's words. It's so important. Now, we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's a preacher standing here and there are people listening. But the most important person as we gather in this room is the person of God, the Holy Spirit, speaking God's words. Now, what about the person of the Holy Spirit and the preacher. What about Peter? Well, it, 
Jesus had said, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's speaking to Peter and the other apostles. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to the preacher. And that power to witness is not limited to the apostles. The promise is also to us. So, for example, Acts 4 and 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Or in Acts 4, 29 and 31, we're broadening out from the apostles here, all the believers, apostles and non-apostles, pray for boldness to continue speaking. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. When they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all the people filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. And we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. The most powerful person in this room is the person of the Holy Spirit with God's Word. But that comes through human voices. And that human voice needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, indwelt by the Holy Spirit at conversion. If I wasn't a Christian, I couldn't preach. That's essentially what it's saying. And the Holy Spirit, when He indwells me, makes me love Jesus, love you, love His Word. And so you preach with your own affections for Christ stirred, and you stir others' affections for Christ. And the Holy Spirit in me is working hard day by day, night by night, to sanctify me, to make me holy. And the more holy I am, the more prayerful I am, the less I am as a hindrance and a block to the Holy Spirit speaking with His Word. So, the more godly you are, the more holy you are, the more humble you are. You're not going to try and say something the Bible doesn't say. It's God's Word. And part of that, and we've been greatly helped by Neil Heath helping us think through our, our, our style, our delivery, and all of that, and, and, and that's all important. And we don't pay any attention to that because we're so concerned to getting all this stuff right. And that's the, the, the paradox. We've got to get this stuff right, but we don't ignore the other stuff. And what about you? How hungry were you when you walked in tonight? How earnest were you to hear God speak? And where is your hunger, pangs, coming from the Holy Spirit indwelling you. It's remarkable. Now, let me just draw out some principles, and with this we will uh, nearly close. One of the things that uh, uh, drives people mad when they're listening to sermons it's when a preacher says, with this we will close. And uh, when everyone knows fine mail, they won't. So I'm not going to promise something I can't deliver. With this we will nearly close. Is that fair? Let's draw some principles about speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you hear a phrase like, somebody speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit, we now know what that means. 
Let's leave the speaker out of it now. What does speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit mean? It means, you'll see there, not just preaching. It means Bible studies. The Spirit works for the Word in these contexts too. It means Acts chapter 8, one-to-ones. It means personal witness. Speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit is not just preaching and then here's something remarkable. Speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit is not just for a few Christians. It is not just for a lot of Christians. It is for every Christian. How do we know the prophecy of Joel? Your sons, your daughters, your servants, your slaves, everybody prophesies, speaks in the new covenant in the power of the Spirit. Some are gifted to preach. All of us are empowered and gifted to witness. All of us get to speak in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's remarkable. No wonder Jesus says, after me, you will do wonderful things in the earth. We get to speak in Arabic in the… well, I don't. We get to speak in Arabic in the power of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Prophets would kind of dreamt of that kind of stuff. Let's come closer to home when we read the Bible with somebody else, fitfully and struggling. If we are reading the Bible and we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and we are speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the middle one there, I want to underline not just because it's, it's not our thing, it's just so, so important Speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit always means expounding the Word of God. It must mean that. Because look at what Peter does. He takes the Bible and he expounds it. What does expound mean or exposit or explain? It just means you take the Bible and you say, well, this is what God says, and let's understand what it says, and let's look at what's in front of us. Let's all agree that that's what it says, and let's apply it to our lives. That's exposition or expounding the Bible. And the way we do it is through Bible books. Why do we do that? It's because that's the way that God inspired it. So that's what we normally do. We're not doing that now, though, in this series, because we're not slaves to that. That's what expounding the Bible is. And when you sit down in a coffee shop and read the Bible one-on-one, you are expounding the Bible and speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit must always be expounding the Bible. You cannot speak in the power of the Holy Spirit unless you let the Holy Spirit arm Himself with His sword, which is the Word of God. We do not need to be led into the truth like the apostles were. We'll see that next week. We have all the truth. We just take the Bible, we learn it, we read it, we love it, we explain it, and we are speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's always God-focused, because the Bible is always God-focused. And it's always Christ-centered because the Bible is always Christ-centered. And it's always effectual. It always works. It always works. So what's happening is we preach tonight. Sometimes we don't know what's happening. But here's one thing that happens. Our whole church family sitting here and online across the services today with the Word of God spoken and sung. The singing is also a ministry of the Word. The church is united and recommitted for another week supernaturally. And what does it also take to be 
speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit, it means that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit at conversion. We'll see this. You can't have half of a person if they indwell you. The person of the Spirit indwells me at conversion. But, but, but being filled with the Spirit is an ongoing activity in our life. And what that means is that as a preacher, as a speaker, as someone just reading the Bible one-on-one, you've got to be humble, and Christ has got to be exalted. You've got to depend, 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 depend on God in the person of the Holy Spirit, speaking God's words. You must depend. And dependence gives over to expectation as to what God, not you, will do. And you've got to be godly holy. Godliness. One of the things that uh, Rog uh, does, and he's an inflexible fellow when it comes to this, the two things that mark out the ministry associate program here are teaching people to have confidence in the Word of God and instilling in them convictions about godliness. Now, that's how, over a lifetime, you train and send preachers into the church of Christ who will preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens when there is preaching or speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit, well, the transformation in Acts 2, 42 to 47. Let's read that. And this we do close with. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That's a bit that we'll look at, verse 43, next week, the miracles the apostles did that are unique to them. And all who believe were together and things in common and so on and so forth. What does, the, uh, what does speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit achieve? Conviction of sin? They were cut to the heart. Conversion? We see that after Peter's sermon. And they cry out, what must we do? That's why we're going to, in time, introduce the opportunity to pray after a service. Or, you know, when we say, speak to somebody, speak to somebody, pray with them. Why are we saying that? Because it's quite plausible, quite possible that the Holy Spirit is convicting people and they are needing to repent and speak to somebody. Or to be prayed for, or to be loved. Conviction, conversion, and devotion. What does what speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit bring about in terms of devotion? Well, after another Sunday, or after another Tuesday, or another Thursday at home group, or another one-on-one, we are devoted to what? We are devoted to the apostles' teaching. We love the Word of God. We are devoted to the fellowship, each other. We are devoted to the breaking of bread, gathering around the Lord's table. We are devoted to praying, and we are devoted to sharing. Isn't that a wonderful down-to-earth list? That speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit leads to conviction, conversion, and devotion. Conviction, conversion, 
and devotion, and the most marvelous, marvelous, marvelous truth of the new covenant. And think of the prophecy of Joel is that every single Christian is afforded the privilege of speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a marvelous thing. But you cannot do that without expounding the Scriptures. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that some of these big principles would have uh, bedded in tonight. It's not easy, perhaps, to grasp this. Our minds might run in all sorts of different directions of application. But we pray, Lord Jesus, that we will really understand as a church who the Holy Spirit is and what happened at Pentecost and what the mission of the church is and what speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit truly means. And we pray, Lord, for every single one of us, for we are all called to this speaking ministry, that we will have absolute confidence in the Word of God and expound it and explain it and thereby give the Spirit agency with His sword. And Lord, we pray too that we will be conscious that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. We have all of Him, but we need to day in, day out depend on Him, not lean on our own resources, but lean on Him. And will You sanctify us, change us through and through to be like Christ, that nothing gets in the way? And Lord, we have spoken about training and feedback and all that kind of stuff, and that is important. We want to sharpen each other, to be good handlers and expounders of Your Word, for we want, and it's good to want to speak in the power of the Holy Spirit, but that takes engagement and training in the Word of God, and it takes engagement and training in the gym of holiness. Will you help us attend to these things? And as a church, be speakers in the power of the Holy Spirit, rightly understood. And this we ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.